You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello and welcome along to another show. How splendid you look. Goodness me, quarantine really is agreeing with you. Cheeks are all rosy, your eyes are all sparkling, and your singing voice is beyond compare. Something tells me you've been drinking your Kool-Aid like good girls and boys. Unlike these two, who seem to have broken quarantine to go travelling. The Kool-Aid kids in old Japan rode rickshaws everywhere. But when the kids sat down to eat, they sure did miss their favorite treat. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, tastes great. Wish we had some, can't wait. A story man who heard the kids then clapped his hands and said, Hi, Kool-Aid keeps me very wise. Stand by, please, for a big surprise. Yowza! It's the Japanese Barney Rebel? Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, so great. Once you try it, no can wait. Honorable Kool-Aid, most refreshing, much loved by whole family. Father, mother, Japanese boy, Japanese girl. Catchy names they have in Japan. The Kool-Aid kids are off again to visit other lands. Arrest them. Be sure to join them when they do. Join them in some Kool-Aid too. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, so great. Once you try it, no can wait. Truly a song worthy of Sinatra. Well, a double bill of movies coming up for you, both on the mystery theme and a radio play coming up later that has murder on its mind. We'll be going over in a little while to guess who the hell is that Hollywood legend, but first, sticking with the mystery theme, let's hear Jeanette MacDonald and Nelson Eddy with Sweet Mystery of Life. Only joking. Sweet heavens above. I wouldn't dream of doing that to you. Let's have Harry James and Helen Forrest with I Had the Craziest Dream instead. It's a mysterious dream. That's the mystery connection I'm going with anyway. In a dream the strangest and the oddest things appear And what insane and silly things we do Here is what I see before Vividly and clear As I recall it You were in it too I had the craziest dream Last night Yes I did I never dreamt it could be Your lips close to mine So I kissed you And you didn't mind it at all When I'm awake Such a break never happens How long can a gal go on dreaming If there's a chance that you care Then please say And that was Harry James and Helen Forrest with I Had the Craziest Dream. I thank you from the bottom of the old ticker. This is the story of the little bull who wanted to sing, but sing in a special way. 
His ambition was to sing in the Bull of the Woods Quartet. I hear Ed Sheeran wanted to sing in the Bull of the Woods Quartet. Richard, Mom. <laughs> Sounds like Ed Sheeran's audition tape. No, no. You must sing deeper. Rich and mild. You see, Bull of the Woods chewing tobacco is rich. It's mild, too. And your voice must express that mildness. Yeah, come on, Ed. Have another go. Rich and mild. Deeper. Rich and mild. Deeper. Yes, folks. You're seriously listening to a gag in which Ed Sheeran is being told by a bull to go deeper. And so the little bull worked and sang and kept singing. His voice got richer and fuller and sweet as Bull of the Woods chewing tobacco until that great day when he got his wish. Come on, Ed, you got this. Bull of the Woods chewing tobacco. Bull of the Woods chewing tobacco. Bull of the Woods. It's a fact, sir. Long and filler can be rich and mild chewing tobacco. Man, it's good chewing tobacco. Bull of the Woods chewing tobacco. Smooth and tasty chewing treats. He's the boss. Beautiful. Well, how's about we fly on over for another type of mystery? Yes, can you identify a famous star from their voice alone, even if they do all they can to mask their natural voice? That's the puzzle before you now, so prick up those ears, listen for the clues, and see if you can tell... Who the hell is that Hollywood legend? Well, now we come to the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery celebrity for which my friends on the panel are blindfolded. And uh, are the blindfolds all in place, panel? Yes, sir. Good. Will you come in, mystery challenger, and sign in, please? As you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, we go to a different form of questioning. You ask one question at a time in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin it all with Bennett Surf. Thank you. (laughs) Would your uh, principal activities be likely to be chronicled in Variety and the entertainment pages of the newspapers? Yes. Miss Kilgallen? Uh, Are you a performer? Yes. Mr. Price? Uh, are you a uh, handsome type leading man actor? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm afraid that um, I will have to answer that question for our guest. That would be a big fat yes to that. Miss Francis? Uh, that's a big fat yes? Mm-hmm. But he's not a big fat leading man. Uh, <laughs> would you perform mostly in the picture industry? Yes. Mr. Sir? Uh, did I detect any hint of an English accent in your answer? Um, yeah. Southern <laughs> <Love> English. <laughs> Mr. Gilgallon? Are you more pictures than stage? Definitely. Yes. Mr. Price? Uh, do you have a, a, a Red Hot movie on Broadway now? Do you have a red-hot movie on Broadway now? No. No. That's one down to nine to go, Miss Francis. Uh, It it was decided that you are English. Is that what Bennett... uh, Well, it was decided that there was a trace of English accent in our guest's present mode of speech. Yes. Oh, well. (laughs) Are you taking me down the primrose path, John? I'd love to. I'd just love to. Well, then, I think I'll just have to come out with it and ask if it is an English motion picture actor. Uh, Yes. Mr. Sir? Do you happen to have a little daughter who is named after the relative of somebody we love very dearly on this program? Uh, Yes. Well, stop it there. Have you worked out who it is? I'm fairly sure you must have an idea. Well, hang on to it for now, and I'll reveal the answer later in the show. For now, though, let's talk about some movies. Mystery movies, in fact. One of the highlights of my viewing in the past week or so has been 1948's Bodyguard. Now, the official description of Bodyguard lists it as a semi-documentary crime film noir. Utter tosh. This is a detective thriller with a superb lead performance from Lawrence Tierney and a truly involving mystery procedural. We kick off by meeting Detective Mike Carter of the LAPD who's been called in to see his boss, who's angry with Carter about the way he's been roughing up criminals. You don't work here anymore. You're suspended. 
Oh, I see. And you represented me with the captain, is that it? Yeah. You talked your way out of things once too often. This time, I made sure. You've been waiting for a chance like this for a long time, haven't you, Borden? Ever since I first came to work in this department. I've known a lot of cops like you, Carter. You can strong-arm your way around town, but not here. Now get out of here, you stupid, hot-headed flatfoot, before I throw you out. Having been busted off the force, Carter is approached by Freddie Dyson, the heir to a meat-packing empire who's worried for the life of his aunt as she's been receiving death threats. You're an independent young man, aren't you, Mr. Carter? Precisely what is your objection to working for me? I just don't like the way you operate. You get a couple of threats, so you tell an unemployed cop to a ballpark. Threats? So you told him everything. Well, since I hoped to hire him, I felt... I told I you I didn't want this business to... talked about. It's just some harmless crank. But Nothing Jean. to make a fuss over. Again, my apologies for your trouble, Mr. Carter. Sure you don't want this check? Quite sure. Good night. Carter reluctantly involves himself in the case, but when he's suddenly framed for murder, he finds himself not only with a mystery to solve, but also being hunted down by the cops he once called friends. But are the two cases linked somehow? You! What are you doing here? Don't you know the police are looking for Look, you? If you think you're going to get us involved in this mess of yours, you're Take crazy. Take it easy, Freddy. Where have you been since 4 o'clock this morning? How does that concern you? Plenty. Haven't you told her about our little agreement? Agreement? What's he talking about? I'm sorry, Aunt Jean, but I was worried about you last night. Oh, I know you didn't want me to, but... Well, I hired him anyway. Idiot. Not about you, but I find myself sometimes lost in the who did what's and the where's and the why's of mystery thrillers, especially ones that aren't careful about the way they're plotted. I tend to watch those movies more for the performances or the mood than I do for the plot itself. Not so here. I don't know whether I was just experiencing a period of clarity, but I followed this without any kind of problems. Couple that with the fact that the performances too are pretty spellbinding and you have a superb B-movie thriller that stands head and shoulders above the rest. The plot is very, very clever. The clues are easy to follow and quite ingenious. The set pieces linking each revelation are crisp and inventive and by the time you get to the end, you really do marvel at all the small breadcrumbs it's been laying out for you from the very beginning, meaning that a rewatch is actually quite rewarding. At the heart of it, you have a barnstormer of a performance from Lawrence Tierney, who modern movie fans will know best from Reservoir Dogs, where he played Joe Cabot, the crime boss. He's as hard-boiled as they come here, but interestingly, he also retains a wicked sense of humor and a good deal of heart. He's magnetic to watch. The film also marks the final screen performance given by Priscilla Lane, who you'll know best from The Roaring Twenties and Saboteur. I didn't realize this was her last time in a movie, and from what I read, it seems like she wasn't quite ready to give up either. Seems like RKO made her a few promises that weren't kept, and then family challenges forced her away from Hollywood and into a retirement that she was never truly happy about. It's a shame, really, as she's bright and fun and definitely still has it in this. It's not her best performance. She certainly played stronger characters previously, but as swan songs go, this isn't a bad way to bow out. It's directed by Richard Fleischer, the son of Max Fleischer, who gave us all those wonderful animations, such as Gulliver's Travels and the Superman cartoons. He was really finding his feet here, and his sense of storytelling and pacing is really quite something. His big breaks were just around the corner. Interestingly, it was Walt Disney, one of Fleischer Studios' rivals, who really sent his career skyward. He chose him to direct 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with Kirk Douglas, and from then on, it was nothing but hits. You had The Vikings and Fantastic Voyage and Dr. Dooley, Little and Soylent Green, and on into the 80s he directed Conan the Destroyer and Red Sonja, and one of the greatest movies of all time, The Jazz Singer Remake, with Neil Diamond and Laurence Olivier, and no, I will not be listening to your contrarian opinions on that. So yes, great pedigree, great performances, great story. There's nothing really to dislike about 1948's Bodyguard if you like your mysteries fresh and easy to follow, with a touch of James Elroy, I must say, your shadows long and sinister, and your heroes tough and funny, then do check it out. I also watched another movie starring last week's star Claude Rains. Thanks to my good friend Dixie Late, who's currently in New York being as fabulous as ever, I was introduced to 1947's The Unsuspected. 
Another great pedigree here. This was directed by the great Michael Curtiz from a script by screenwriter and then wife of Curtiz, Bess Meredith, and stars Reigns alongside Joan Caulfield, Audrey Totter, Constance Bennett, Herd Hatfield, and Michael North. And here's a clip. Tragedy strikes again. What? Last week, Victor Grandison's attractive young secretary, Rosalind Wright, committed suicide at the Grandison Estate in Croton, New York. The genial commentator, long noted for his interest in mysteries, confesses that the tragedy has him completely baffled. Mr. Grandison was doing his weekly mystery broadcast in the New York studio at the time of her death. As I show that man. Poor oh, <laughs> Rosalind, I like her. I wonder why she did it. <laughs> You'd better watch your step. Oh, don't worry about me. I shall die at the ripe old age of 90 with my grandchildren at my bedside. If I can find a Reigns plays Victor Grandison, one of the most popular radio hosts in the country due to his macabre show, The Unsuspected, which takes a true-life crime and sensationalizes it weekly for thrill-seeking listeners. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Grandison speaking. Tonight, I bring you from the files of the nation's unsolved crimes the story of one of the most brutal and yet the most cunningly conceived murder ever committed. A murder of rare delicacy and wondrous ease that was called suicide. Yes, suicide, the police called it. Yet the murderer walks among us, free. But is he really free? Can he escape from the evil that he has done? No. By day, it follows him like a shadow. At night, the cold hands of death awaken him from a thousand nightmares. Thing is, Grandison himself is living in the middle of a real-life detective story. His secretary is murdered at the beginning of the film, and his young ward, Matilda, has mysteriously disappeared. Could the culprit be Althea? Grandison's flirty niece, or her husband, Oliver, a habitual drunk? Could it be Grandison himself committing the crimes, or could it be Stephen Howard, the mysterious young man who arrives one night and claims to have been Matilda's secret husband? She was on the freighter that was burned at sea last month. And Victor's secretary committed suicide last week. There's no connection. I didn't say there was. She was beautiful. She drank too much milk and her seams were always straight. You didn't like her? Frankly, she bored me. She was sweet, shy, unforgettable. I can understand why you didn't like her. You knew Matilda? I was married to her. Or could the killer be Matilda herself, who shows up one day out of the blue, claiming to have lost her memory? I came down hard because I have what I think will be very good news for you. You mean no discrepancies in your checkup on my story? No discrepancies. But you didn't finish your story. There's an end to it. Or rather, a second beginning. What do you mean? She's alive. Who? Matilda. I don't believe it. Alive and well and on her way home. Apparently, this had more casting issues than Gone with the Wind. Humphrey Bogart was slated for a couple of parts, and so was Eve Arden, but neither worked out. Dana Andrews and Virginia Mayer were actually cast, and then just after shooting had started, Curtis junked the whole thing and started the game with Reigns. Seems like it must have been a very popular story to begin with, as the papers couldn't leave the production alone. Aside from the directorial skill on display and the marvellous performances throughout, it's kind of hard to see why it was so popular. As mysteries go, it oddly chooses to show its hand very early on. If it was hoping to maintain a sense of unease or confusion, then it makes a very odd decision during the opening murder. I do wonder if it was intentional. Although considering the superlative skills of Curtis in crafting every shot he ever made, I'm not convinced it was a mistake. Therefore, it deliberately, although slightly vaguely, does reveal the identity of the killer if you keep your eyes open. The rest of the movie plays like a whodunit, so my advice to you is that if you want to follow along with the intriguing mystery, then close your eyes from 3 minutes 20 until 3 minutes 30. But if you're here for the mood, the scenery-chewing performances, the incredible direction of Curtis, I mean, I haven't seen shadow work this impeccable since Casablanca, then you're going to be well served. 
The build-up is very laborious, but it drops enough enigmas in the first hour to keep the whole thing twisting away. And when we arrive at the third act, it turns into a genuinely frightening and rather shocking story that'll have you leaping from your seat and screaming at your screen. I'd never heard of it before, but I'm so glad that Dixie turned me on to 1947's The Unsuspected. Do check it out. Just remember that if you like playing detective, avert your eyes from the baffling reveal. Very odd choice. That comes early on. Sticking with the mystery genre, one of the best mystery shows of all time was, of course, Suspense. I've selected an episode for you today that contains a fiendish mystery at its heart and which is set to a very evocative Bernard Herrmann score. I will preface this slightly by saying that you should really stick this one out, as it has one of those trademark twists that'll really screw with your mind. This is called A Passage to Benares from Suspense, then, and I'll see you afterwards. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you... Suspense. Suspense. Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers produced by William Spear scored by Bernard Herrmann. Notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Tonight's story, by the noted American author T.S. Stribling, deals with a crime of murder on an exotic and atmospheric island, with ragged beggars who slept in a Hindu temple and awoke with gold in their pockets and a dead girl lying near them, and with a strange and mystical entrance into the life of hereafter, which was the experience of an American psychologist. For your suspenseful listening... We invite you to join us for A Passage to Benares. In Porto, Spain, in Trinidad, at half past five in the morning, Mr. Henry Pajoli, an American psychologist, stirred uneasily, became conscious of a splitting headache opened his eyes in bewilderment, and then, with a shock, saw where he was. He got up, arranged his clothing. He tried with his neat psychological mind to recapture his dream, to bottle up again the little smoking wisps that still floated about within his aching head. By seven o'clock, he had found his way back to the house of Mr. Lowe, his host in Port of Spain. Lowe was already about his coffee, with an interested spoon poised above the morning paper. Ah, there you are. Good morning, Bargioli. I say, you are quiet. Didn't hear you get up at all. Have some breakfast? Oh, thanks. I have uh, been out for a breath of air. What's the news today? Well, the new governor will arrive in Trinidad on the 12th, and, uh, uh... Hello. Another native's killed his wife. Tell me, Pajoli, as a psychologist, why do natives kill their wives? Oh, for various reasons, I imagine. Let's hear some of the facts. Oh, I say this is a coincidence. Really putting on a show for you, Pajoli, on your first visit to Trinidad. How so? Well, you... You remember that wedding procession you and I watched last evening down, yeah. the, down at the Hindu temple? The temple? Oh, of course, the... Cream-colored little bride with the breastplates and the linked gold coins and the anklets and all the finery. Mm -hmm. And the bridegroom. What did you say his name was? Budman Lal? Yes. Well, do you know what's happened? Budman Lal is in jail this morning and his cream-colored little bride is dead with her throat cut. No. Do they think he did it? No doubt of it. That's why he's in jail now. 
You always seem like a sensible fellow, too. One of our best patrons. Which only proves my contention, Pajoli. A bridegroom of only six or eight hours killing his wife without any reason at all. Oh, there's usually some reason for murder. Maybe. But I say, oh boy, you're, you're missing the point completely. How? Well, suppose you actually had gone and slept in the temple there last night. You wanted to, you know. Remember? Yes, I remember. You said it simply isn't done. Well, if... If you had, Pajoli, I say, uh, that would have been a pretty kettle, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm afraid I'll be mixed up in this. Both Mr. Lal and his uncle, Hiradas, are clients of mine. Old Hiradas is upwards of five million dollars in my bank. Hiradas? Didn't you tell me he built that temple where the murder took place? Yes. It's what the Hindus call a temple and rest house. Hiradas gives rice and tea to any traveler who comes in for the night. It's an Indian custom to help mendicant pilgrims. A rich Indian will build a temple and rest house just, just as you Americans erect libraries. Ah. What does it say there about the murder, though? Um, Budman Lal, nephew of the famous Mr. Hirad Das, was arrested early this morning at his home for the alleged murder of his wife, whom he married yesterday. The body was found at six o'clock this morning in the temple where the wedding ceremony took place. The temple attendants gave the alarm. The victim's head was severed completely from her body and all her jewelry was gone. Five beggars who were asleep in the temple when the body was discovered were arrested. They all claimed ignorance of the crime, but a search of their persons revealed that each beggar had a piece of the bride's jewelry and a coin from a necklace. Mr. Budman Lal and his wife were seen to enter the temple at about 11 last night for the Hindu rite of purification. Mr. Lal, who is a prominent curio dealer, declines to say anything further. Doesn't tell you very much, does it? Oh, not much. What do you make of those beggars? Oh, that's simple enough. Those devils laid in wait inside the temple until the husband went out and left his wife. Then they murdered her and divided the spoil. Ah, but she had enough bangles and jijas to give a dozen to each man. Yes, yes, you're quite right, Pajoli. That's a fact. Why should they continue sleeping in the temple after they'd killed her if they did murder her? Well, why shouldn't they? They knew they'd be suspected and they couldn't get off the island without capture, so they thought they might as well lie down again and go back to sleep. Hmm. You may be right, Lo, but that doesn't look like the solution to me. Well, I'm satisfied that's how it occurred. You mean the beggars killed her? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think so. I rather fancy that the actual murderer took the girl's jewelry and went about the temple thrusting a bangle and a coin in the pockets of each of the sleeping beggars to lay a false scent. Oh, 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 oh. come now. That, that's laying it on a bit too thick, Pajoli. My dear Lowe, that's the only possible explanation for the coins in the beggar's pockets. I say, oh boy, you've had lots of experience in these things. Come along with me and we'll go up and see Mr. Hirad Daz and see if we can't help his nephew. I'll be glad to. But we'll go to the temple first. Then we'll call on Mr. Hiradas. Well, here we are. In spite of the police guard at the door, the temple doesn't look sinister in the daylight. No, yeah, it just looks dirty. Well, let's go in and question the beggars. Excuse me, um, did any of you fellows hear noises in this temple last night? Oh, much sleep, Saeed. No noise. Policeman Pancho's wake this morning makes it still here. What's your name? Shudachan, Saeed. When did you go to sleep last night? When I ate rice and tea, Saeed. Mm-hmm. Do you remember seeing Budman Lal and his wife enter this building last night? Uh, yes, remember, Saib. Did you see them go out? Uh, no, Saib. No one remember go out. You were all asleep then, huh? Yeah, all asleep, yeah, Saib. Did you have any dreams during your sleep? Hear any noises? Uh, I dream bad dreams, Saib. Huh? When policeman punched me awake this morning, I think dream has come true. And me, Saib. Me too. Me did you all have bad dreams? Yes, all oh, have bad dreams. Look here, Pajoli, I, I, I don't see where this is getting us. I do think we ought to be getting on to old Haradaz's house. No, I think we can now entirely discard the theory that the beggars murdered the girls. On what grounds? They told you nothing except that they all had bad dreams. 
That's the reason. They all had wild, fantastic dreams. That suggests that they were given some sort of opiate in their rice or tea last night. It's quite improbable that Five would have wit enough to concoct such a piece of evidence as that. Mm, that's a fact, but I don't believe a Trinidad court would admit such evidence. We're not looking for legal evidence. We're after some indication of the real criminal. Now I suggest that we get onto the house of Hiradas. Please come in, gentlemen. I've been expecting you. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. A most mysterious murder in the life of my poor nephew will depend upon your exertions, gentlemen. Tell me, what do you think of the beggars that were found in the temple with the bangles and coins? Well, I'm afraid my judgment of the beggars will disappoint you, Mr. Hiradas. Huh? My theory is that they're innocent of the crime. Really? Why do you say that? Because they told me of dreams they had. And all their dreams were very nearly identical. You are not English, sir. No Englishman would have thought of that. No, I'm American with a backlash sprinkling of, uh, of Italian. My name's Pagioli. What is your profession, Mr. Pagioli? You are a detective? No, Mr. Das. I'm a psychologist. Ah. Your soul is at least groping after knowledge. However, it gropes as a blind worm, Mr. Poggioli. And we must find the criminal who committed this crime and thus restore my nephew, Boodman Lal, to liberty. You can imagine what a blow this has been to me after I arranged this marriage for my nephew. You did arrange a marriage for a nephew who is in his 30s? Yes, Mr. Poggioli. Hmm. I wanted him to avoid the pitfalls into which I fell. Ah. He was unmarried. And he'd already begun to add dollars to dollars. I did the same thing. And now, look at me. An empty old man in a foreign land. What good is this house where men of my own kind can't come and sit with me when I have no grandchildren to romp and play? No. I've piled up dollars and pounds. I, I've eaten the world, Mr. Pajoli, and found it bitter. Now here I am, an outcast. And why don't you go back to India, Mr. Hyradas? Why, Mr. Pajoli, my mind is half English. If I should return to Benares, I'd walk about thinking what the temples cost. How much was the value of the stone set in the eye of Krishna's image? If I would ever be one with my own people again, Mr. Pajoli... I must leave this Western mind and body here in Trinidad. That's uh, very interesting and moving, but uh, we were discussing your nephew, Budman Lal. Wait. In searching for the criminal, I would suggest you look for a moneyed man. Let me tell you my suspicions, and you can work out the details. What are they? I went out of the temple this morning to have the body of my poor murdered niece brought here to my villa for burial. I talked to the five beggars and they told me there was a sixth sleeper in the temple last night. Was there indeed? Yes, Mr. Lowe, a white man. A white man? Yes, Mr. Lowe. All five and my man, Guta, told me it was true. But, Mr. Hiradas, decapitation is not an American mode of murder. American? I, I... I was speaking generally. I mean a white man's method of murder. Uh, that is indicative in itself. I meant to call your attention to that point. It shows the white man was a highly educated man who had studied the mental habits of other peoples than his own. So he was enabled to give the crime an extraordinary resemblance to... A Hindu crime. But what motive could a white man have? Possibly robbery, Mr. Pajoli. Or if he were a very intellectual man, he might have murdered the poor child by uh, way of experiment. A murder for experiment? 
Yes, Mr. Lowe, to record this psychological reaction. Why? I can't entertain such a theory as that, Mr. Harrida. Oh, no. It is too far-fetched. However, it is worth investigating, is it not? Yes, yes, but I'll begin my investigations with the man Guka. By all means, Mr. Poggioli. And in your investigations, gentlemen, hire any assistance you may need. Draw on me for any amount. I want my nephew exonerated, and above all things... I want the real criminal apprehended and brought to the gallows. Well, what do you think of that, Pajoli? White man in that temple. Ah. Sounds like pure fiction to me, to, to shield Bob and Lau. You know, these fellows hang together like thieves. Say, it's a jolly good thing we didn't decide to sleep in the temple last night, isn't it? You know, in my opinion, Lowe, the actual criminal is Boodman Lau. Uh, same here. I've thought so ever since I first saw the account in the paper. Somehow these fellows will chop their wives to pieces for no reason at all. Well, what do you know about Boodman Lau? Well, he, he was born here and has always been a figure because of his rich uncle. Lived here all his life? Uh-huh. Except when he was in Oxford for six years. Oh, he was an Oxford man. Huh? Yes, yes. Uh, there you are. That's the trouble. I don't understand. What do you mean, Pajoli? No doubt he fell in love with some English girl, but when old Hira Das chose a Hindu child for his wife, Budman couldn't refuse marriage. No man's going to quarrel with a $5 million legacy. And then he chose this ghastly method of getting rid of the child bride. Uh, I dare say you're right. I feel sure Bowman Lyle killed the girl. George, I'm getting tired of walking. There's a cab. Let's hop it and ride the rest of the way. Hi, cabby. A cab. I see. Oh, hi. Well, aren't you coming? You know, I don't feel that I can conscientiously continue this investigation trying to clear a person whom I have every reason to believe guilty. But, man, don't leave me like this. At least come as far as police headquarters with me and explain your theory about Guga, the temple keeper, and the rice. Well, I... I thought I'd go back to your cottage and pack my things. Pack your things? Well, your boat doesn't sail until Friday. Yes, I know, but there's a daily service to Curacao. It struck me to go there. Oh, now, come. You can't run off like that just when I've stirred up an interesting murder mystery for you to unravel. Why, Bajoli, you ought to appreciate my efforts as a host more than that. Well, all right, then. To the police station. Yes, sir. Chief Vickers, uh, this is my friend, Mr. Pajoli. Mr. Pajoli, Mr. Vickers is chief of Trinidad's police force. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, chief Vickers, I've, um, I've asked Mr. Pajoli's counsel in the Budman Lal murder case. And he's already developed a theory as to... Who is the actual murderer of Mrs. Budman Lal? So have I. Now, in this matter, Chief Vickers, I want to be perfectly frank with you. I'll admit we're in this case in the employer of Mr. Hiradas and are making an effort to clear his nephew, Budman Lal. We felt confident you'd use the skill of the police department of Port of Spain to work out a theory clearing Budman Lal just as readily as you would to convict him. Our department usually devotes its time to conviction and not to clearing criminals. Yes, yes, I, I know that. But if our theory will point out the actual murderer... What is your theory? Mr. Poggioli's deduction is based on the dreams of the men who were found in the temple. So Mr. Poggioli's deduction is based on dreams. It would be a remarkable coincidence, Mr. Vickers, if five men had lurid dreams simultaneously without some physical cause. It suggests strongly that their tea or rice was doped. Now, if you find out what soporific was used, then have your men search the sales record of the drugstores in the city to see who has lately bought such a drug. You will find the murderer. Uh-huh. How do you like Trinidad, Mr. Pajoli? I'd like it very much indeed. You've just arrived, haven't you? Yes. In uh, what university do you teach back in the States? Ohio State. A chair of criminal psychology in an ordinary state university? I'm not a professor. I'm simply a docent, and I haven't specialized on criminal psychology. I, I quiz on general psychology. 
You're not teaching now? No, this is my sabbatical year. You look young to have taught in the university six years, but then you Americans start young in your land of specialists. Now, are you, uh, Mr. Poggioli, I suppose you're wrapped up heart and soul in your psychology. I am. You'd uh, do anything in the world to advance yourself in the science. I rather think so. Especially keen on original research work. <laughs> That's what he is, G. Vickers. Do you know what he asked me to do yesterday afternoon? No. What, Mr. Lowe? Oh, I don't think we ought to burden Mr. Vickers with our household anecdotes. Oh, but I'm really curious. Just what did Mr. Poggioli ask you to do yesterday afternoon, Mr. Lowe? Oh, well, really nothing. Nothing at all. It was just a little psychological experiment he wanted to do. And did he do it? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't hear of it. Oh, as uh, unconventional as that? Oh, it was really nothing. Nothing at all. I think I could guess your anecdote if I tried, gentlemen. About a half an hour ago, I received a telephone message from my man stationed at the temple to keep a lookout for you and Mr. Pargioli. A lookout for us? Yes, because one of the men under arrest told him that Mr. Pargioli slept in the temple last night. Oh, but that's not true. That's exactly what he didn't do. He suggested it to me, but I said no. You remember, Pargioli, you... You didn't do it. Did you, Pargioli? Did you? You see, he did... Gentlemen, I I had a perfectly valid and important reason for sleeping in the temple last night, and so I I can only ask your sympathetic attention to what I'm about to say. Go on. You remember, Lowe, you and I were down there watching a wedding procession. Well, just as the music stopped and the procession entered the building, suddenly it seemed to me as if... as if they'd vanished. Naturally, they'd gone into the building. Oh, no, no, I don't mean that. I'm afraid you won't understand what I do mean. That the whole procession had ceased to exist, melted into a nothingness. You see, that's really the idea in which the Hindus base their notion of heaven, oblivion, nothing. Yes, I've heard that before. Well, our medieval Gothic architecture was the conception of our Western heaven, and I thought perhaps the Indian architecture had somehow caught the motif of the Indian religion, you know, suggested nirvana. That's what amazed and intrigued me. That's why I wanted to sleep in the place. I wanted to see if I could further my shred of impression. Does that make any sense to you, Mr. Vickers? We are not interested why you went, Mr. Pargioli. We know a murder took place in the temple. You, you don't... You can't think that I committed a horrible murder as an experiment. You intellectual chaps do some pretty weird things, Mr. Pargioli. Why, only the other day I was reading about two young oh, intellectuals... Yes, these fellows I read about also tried to turn an honest penny by their murder. I don't suppose you happened to notice yesterday that the little bride, Maila Ram, was almost covered with gold bangles and coins? Of course I noticed it. But I had nothing whatever to do with her. I I, I did sleep in the temple. By the but... way, you say you slept on a rug? Yes, I did. And you didn't wake up either, Mr. Pajoli? No, no. Then did the child's murderer happen to put a coin and a bangle in your pockets, just as he did the other sleepers in the temple? I don't know. I... I haven't looked in my pocket since then. Then please do so now, Mr. Pajoli. Oh, yes. Here they are, Mr. Vickers. You don't happen to have any more, do you? No. I've already been through all my pockets and I haven't any more. Well, that's something. Of course, you might have expected just such a questioning as this and provided yourself with these two pieces of gold, but I doubt it. Somehow, I don't believe that you're an experienced enough man to think of such a thing. However, we shall see. I suppose you have no objection, Mr. Pajoli, to my accompanying you over to have a little search of your baggage in Mr. Lowe's cottage. Now then, Mr. Pajoli, be so kind as to open your trunk. Mm-hmm. Just as I thought. A trunk tray full of bangles and coins. I'll say one thing for you, though, Mr. Pargioli. Your nerve almost got you by. But you... You can't believe that I did it. Well, you don't believe I did this, do you? I... I, I don't. In your trunk, Pargioli. If I did it, I was sleepwalking. God, to think that it's possible that right here in my own... Well, we might as well start back, I suppose. This is all. I'll I'll go back with you, Pajoli. I'll see you through. Somehow I can't... I I won't believe you did it. Thanks. 
thanks. You know, Pajoli, you set out to clear Boatman Lal and, well, dash it all, it looks as if you had. No, he didn't. Boatman Lal was out of jail at least an hour before you fellows came into police headquarters to see me. Out? You mean that you turned him loose? Yes. How's that, Chief Vickers? Because, Mr. Lowe, he didn't go to the temple at all with his wife last night. He went down to Queen's Park Hotel and played billiards till one o'clock. He called up a few friends and proved that easily enough. My word, that, that leaves nobody but... Yes, Pagioli. I don't know anything about it. If I did commit the murder, I was asleep. I don't know anything about it, that's all I can say. I don't know anything about it. Perhaps a rest in jail will help restore your memory. Well, we'll see. Come now, Poggioli, old man. Don't be too downhearted. I promise you, I'll do everything I can. In the case against Henry Poggioli, having been duly tried by a jury of your peers who have been found guilty by the powers invested in me, I herewith sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. To recall a lost dream is the most tantalizing task ever a human brain was driven to. But if I lie still long enough on this bunk, perhaps I can recapture the dream I had in the temple last night. Yes. Yes. It seems to me that the image on the altar moved. And suddenly the dome overhead was opened and left me staring upward into a vast abyss. Where I was alone in endless space. Where all creatures and all matter that had ever been or ever would be were wrapped up in me, Parcioli. That was my dream. That's an odd thing. Six men dreaming the same dream in different turns. There must be a physical cause for such a phenomenon. Of course. I've got it. Vickers. Whoa. I have it. I've solved it. Get me out of here. I know who killed the girl. What is it, my friend? I know who murdered the bride. Hold Hira Dust at it. Now listen. Listen. Go tell Vickers to take the gold he found in my trunk and develop all the fingerprints on it. He'll find Hira Dust's prints. Also tell him to follow out that opiate clue I gave him. He'll find Hira Dust and a man to put the gold in my trunk. See if they don't find brass or steel filings in my room where the scoundrel sat and filed a new key. But they've already done that long ago. They have. But certainly. And old Hyradas confessed everything. Though why a rich old man like him should have murdered a pretty child is more than I can see. But why did he pick on me as a scapegoat? Oh, he explained that to the police. He said he picked on a white man... So the police would make a thorough investigation and be sure to catch him. He did? Aye. But what I can't see is why the old boy wanted to be caught and hanged. Why didn't he commit suicide? Why? I know why. Because according to his religion, in that case his soul would have returned in the form of some beast. He wanted to be slain because he expects to be reborn instantly in Benares with little Maelaran as his bride instead of his nephews. He hopes to be a great man with wife and children. All the things he was not here in Trinidad. Yes, yes, you must be right. Why didn't you come and tell me about Hiradas' confession the moment it occurred? What do you mean keeping me here when you know I'm an innocent man? Why didn't you tell me before this? Because I couldn't. Old Hiradas didn't confess until a month and ten days after you were hanged. And that was Suspense, radio's outstanding theatre of thrills with A Passage to Benares. Love that final line. 
sends it off into all kinds of surreal realms. Right, let's find out just who that Hollywood legend was. Do you happen to have a little daughter who was named after the relative of somebody we love very dearly on this program? Uh, yeah. Uh, James Mason. James Mason is right, man. Yes, of course, it was James Mason. Something of an unmistakable voice. Did you get it? I'll trust you to give yourself a tick if you did. That is all for this episode, then. If you're a patron of the show, then keep your ears out for more mystery this week as I present a fabulous mystery movie review plus an absolutely thrilling episode of Radio to go with it. To get access to this and over 60 more bonus episodes, as well as your invitation to our now weekly movie night, this week featuring Vincent Price alongside, well, you'll see, then all you need to do is to visit www.patreon.com slash secret and sign up. Only takes a moment and you'll have instant access to hundreds of hours of bonus materials. Plus, I'll love you now and always. Also, for those of you in the UK, tune in to BBC Radio 4 Extra on Wednesday and next Wednesday, and you'll hear parts two and three of the radio series I made with my good friend Dom DeLaghi. The Lives of Harry Towers, which tells the story of Harry Towers, the movie producer, and which also features a guest appearance by Miss Brooke Darnell. If you want to catch up, you can listen to part one on the iPlayer. Nice little surprise to find that was airing again. Until next time then, folks, make sure you're keeping well and safe. Take superb care of those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.